Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. A podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian it's the faith. the rock and roll Bible Bistro. The rock decided. and roll Bible Bistro. That's right. We've determined it's all about the rock and roll here. Uh, why did we say that? Well, because you said, are you ready to rock and roll? Oh, I, I said did we should call this the rock, rock and roll and, well, Bible Bistro. And you know what? I'm just looking at our scripture for today. Yeah. And it talks about some musical instruments. There you go. Maybe Zithers, they were. maybe. And... Some harps. Yeah. Nothing says rock like harps. It's like a ancient Jethro Tull. <laughs> Instead of a flute, you got a harp. Anyway, so I think there may be flutes too. Well, there are fl- well you know, we- it is and horns. It's Chicago. Um, so, so we're back. We're on the beach. Ska. Ancient ska. <laughs> that would have probably been amazing. Ancient ska would have probably been. It would have been something. I mean, they knew how to party. That may be the meaning of Selah. <laughs> You read it's, the Psalms and it's, it's Shayla. Just they just scoff. It's like an instrumental break. It's the bridge. <laughs> Instead of saying Sela, it's just saying ska. And then they dance. Yeah. Something and the like horns that. come in. And wore their, well, anyway, their check shoes. This has really helped <laughs> elevate everyone's spirituality <laughs> as we as right. were talking about ska music. But we're we are in where are we at today? We're in the historic North Danvers Mennonite Church and Dan- not downtown, north of downtown Danvers, Illinois. Yes, if you're watching on YouTube, we yeah. are in, it's a low-key production day. I mean, it's always low-key production for the most part. The last couple weeks haven't been, we were in a studio. Right. Other times we do over the web, but we're here just sitting down, chatting yeah. today while we're still in each other's presence to yeah. capture as much content for you, our listener, yeah. as we can. But we're going to continue on in Daniel today. Yep. So Daniel chapter three. Daniel chapter three. So, so we've had some we've had some fun stories up to this point. Yeah. Yeah, and th- and thinking about Daniel's narrative, we've kind of been, already been introduced to the major players, right? So we've got Daniel, for example. Uh, we have his friends, who we've talked about that they have both names that they they came with: Azariah, Hananiah, and uh, Mishael. Mm-hmm. And then they're given these Babylonian names. We've talked about them. Where did we leave them? Do you remember where we left them at the end of chapter two? Well, I they, we left them after Daniel had interpreted a dream, and Daniel's like given a place in the court, right? And, and they're given prov- charge over provinces. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing about this, and one of the things that people often notice, and you even asked about it, I think, mm-hmm. as we were entering into this, um, is where's Daniel in this chapter? Daniel disappears in this chapter. Yep. And uh, so I, I'll go ahead and address that now, I guess, uh, because this really is, is one that this is the famous story. Whenever you think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is the one that you you think of. Um, and, and so this is, you know, the interesting thing is Daniel's not really included in the story at all, even though it's here. So there's a couple of different theories of this. I'm going to give you the ancient Jewish one first, because this is the one I think is probably the, the closest. This is in the in the rabbinic writings. They they came to this conclusion when they talked, because this, this has been a question for a long time. This isn't a Like, branded. where's Daniel? Right. Yeah. Why yeah. is Daniel not included in this? And their conclusion and this is speculation, even even in an ancient Jewish context. But their speculation was that he had been sent on a mission by Nebuchadnezzar because he was a high-ranking official in the court. He'd been sent to another mm-hmm. country, and so this event takes place while Daniel's out of the country. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are still there in the in 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 his presence. So that's the that's the ancient that's the oldest explanation we have really. <laughs> well, on and this. you know the, the thing I pointed out as we were kind of leading up to this is it was at Daniel's request that the king yeah, appointed them sure. places. So it was just yeah. Daniel saying like, hey, there's these three guys in know right. and you appoint them somewhere. So, you know, in some ways you kind of go, does the king even know who they are right. really? 
the other it was Daniel's request. The other theory that some have suggested, and I don't, I don't think this is as likely, is that because he was so high ranking, he was higher ranking than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That that. Nebuchadnezzar had given him an exemption from having to bow down. But that doesn't seem the whole point of this seems to be that I want even my high officials to bow down to this mm-hmm. statue. And I guess we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So uh, let's go ahead and read the yeah. first three verses here of what's what's going on. Yeah, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide and made it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps... <laughs> Prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. And this is this is kind of a very typical story where you have a lot of repetition like this. Like you mentioned, the musical instruments, and we're going to see that list repeated yeah. several times. It's the way they, they told stories in this this period. I should have mentioned the other other possibility that some some people recommend in, uh, about about this story is they say if this was an earlier story, if this actually was a story that that was adapted to fit this book, and there's some mm. people who think that that that's why Daniel's absent. But I, you know, again, there's too many things that we see connections in other ways. You know, why do we have the names of these these other three characters then? And you know, it just there's a lot here that suggests to me that that this is an original story. There's some other explanation for Daniel's absence here. Uh, so a- again, the interesting thing, it, it may seem strange to us because you remember, so I talked a little bit about how we left chapter two. Uh, Daniel had asked that his three friends are promoted into areas, I- into uh, being basically provincial. Administrators over the province. Over the, over the provinces. And so he had, he had asked about that. But Nebuchadnezzar, we left him exclaiming, the, the, the God high, is great. Yeah, the high Surely God. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And so then, like I said, we shift from the very – I mentioned this at the end of last week. We shift from the very end of chapter 2 into the very beginning of chapter 3, and suddenly he's building this idol. This, I mean, I don't know what else to call it, this statue. Some have suggested that it was the interpretation of the dream that gave him this idea of building the statue because you might remember the – He had the head of gold. He had the head of gold, and that was the dream, and so he builds this statue. Uh, so there's some who's, who suggested that. There's nothing in the text that says specifically that that's what caused him to think about this. But I do think the next few verses, ver- verses four through six, does give us some idea about what Nebuchadnezzar's doing here. So he called together, and again, as I mentioned before, a lot of his high officials are the ones that he specifically called in in, in order to, to to do this. But then go ahead and read verses four through six for me, if you don't mind. Yeah. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So what's what's Nebuchadnezzar trying to do here? Uh, I didn't mention this at the beginning. It, it, the cubits there, it works out to about 90 feet high. So we're not talking about just a, a small statue. Yeah. We're talking about a major statue. Um, it, it's it's it would have been an expensive thing. He's calling people together and he's asking them to bow down to him. So so the question is, what's Nebuchadnezzar trying to do? And I think that's the important thing for us to see. Nebuchadnezzar had had defeated all of these different nations. 
and we talked about this a little in, the, in two weeks ago in the, in the, when we looked at chapter one, one of the issues that, and this has been true throughout history, any leader that conquers in this way has to find some way to bring these disparate people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's one thing to conquer. And Alexander the Great at a later period of time is going to find this out as well. Yeah. It's one thing to conquer, but there has to be some way to bring cohesion and, mm-hmm. and a sense of uh, uh, loyalty uh, from these different, these disparate people. Mm-hmm. And so notice the, what it, how that began, what you just read in verse 4. Uh, he, the herald says, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're to do. So I think what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do is he's trying to solidify this empire around his person, right? Mm-hmm. The, trying, to, trying to get them all to pay allegiance to him. And anyone who does not then is going to be killed uh, because they're going to be seen as traitors. They're going to be seen as not not loyal, essentially, mm-hmm. to Nebuchadnezzar. It's something that every – I say every leader, but really every nation has to deal with this kind of an idea. Uh, we saw it back, you know, even in, in uh, uh, Pharaoh's day. You might remember – um, in, in the book of Exodus, it talks about when the Hebrews begin to become numerous. Uh, his advisors say this is this is a problem because if if they if an enemy attacks us, we can't trust them to stay loyal to us. So they they're seeking to exterminate the the Hebrew people. You might remember that yeah. whole story. That's how Moses is birthed. That's why he's put into the yeah. Nile River the mm-hmm. way that he is, and this kind of thing. So so it's always been an issue, it, it, and I, I would say to this day. You have the issue of how do you make sure as a nation uh, that that people are loyal to your to what you're doing, especially if you've conquered them. If, if, you've, not- if you've conquered, you know, and and so, but even a, div, a division, you know, even a dividing of a nation, I think can can cause weakness. But but yeah, mm-hmm. you're right, especially if you've got these disparate people, and, and so you it, know, it, it's the same thing that we in modern warfare, you know, exactly. where we occupied or some other countries try to occupy something right. it's like there may not be a giant battle but you know the people are still against sure. you and it's causing problems throughout yeah, e- even the, whole the region. End, of, end of world war ii for example where you have this division of the uh, of the nations that this yeah. this decision that's kind of made and and we see you know the fracturing of of czechoslovakia you know we've, we've seen in in current day uh, some of those you know, because those allegiances were not strong enough, that 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 kind of thing happening, uh, and we could point to other other examples as well. But but yeah, it's always been a question, and I think mm-hmm. that's what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do. He's really trying to solidify his base here, if you will. He's trying to bring people together and cause them to to recognize him. So I think that's why we have such a harsh punishment. Uh, is this is you know, traitors act even in the United States is is punishable by by mm-hmm. death. And so I think Nebuchadnezzar, this idea of being thrown into a furnace, now it seems like a pretty pretty nasty way to have a death penalty, but that that's what he's he, he's trying to get across this idea to cause these people to um, uh, to get a to get a sense of loyalty to him. Thoughts on that or any anything uh, yeah, else? Yeah, I don't want to go into a furnace. Yeah, that's my <laughs> thought. I mean, I it, it, it's this it's the same it's the same thing we've talked about. It's just that you know, it's trying this cohesion. We read we read about in Daniel one why they're being taught literature and so forth right. of uh, Babylonians and so forth. And so, um, yeah, we just we kind of see this whole the narrative continues. How do right. we bring these people together under one under one roof? And we're going to see some similarities here to chapter one. So let me let me read verse seven. And so here here's the conclusion. After the herald had said this, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations. 
and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And this is what brings these Jewish, these these Judean young people into conflict, uh, is they're brought into a place where all these other nations, you know, and if, if you came from an idol worship worshiping nation, this doesn't cause you a problem. But the similar thing we saw in chapter one, where they say, well, eat these things mm-hmm. that, that their God had told them not to eat. One of the very first things, as I mentioned in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make to me any graven image, and you will not bow down your knee right to any graven mm-hmm. image. And so this this is central to their to their belief system. They're not going to give allegiance to an idol. What, this is so interesting to me because okay. leading up to Babylonian captivity, yeah. they've been not obedient the, the, the Israelite or the yeah. Judeans had not been hadn't that's this the whole, is, this this is is the whole reason the this is what caused the problem and then yeah. all of a sudden once they're in the context of like <laughs> occupation it's like oh yeah now I remember yeah no I couldn't do that that's a very important part of this story and I think I think that's what's going on because you got to remember one of the one of the things that creeps into the prophets I should say creeps in one of the things that becomes an important part of the prophets um language during this period of time is the idea of a remnant, mm-hmm. okay? And, and usually we call it a righteous remnant, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, Babylonian captivity happens because they they fall down to idols. They worship <laughs> these, these they worship the gods just like God said that they would. They worship the gods of the people around uh, them. Of the Canaanites. And, and so what happens here now, though, is we're talking about the faithful ones. These are the ones, the righteous remnant. Not every Israelite's going to go back into Israel, right? That's the whole thing of Ezra. Not everybody goes back. In fact, there's a lot of people who say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied here. I've, mm-hmm. I'm married. You know, I'm doing okay. Um, it's only those who are who are driven, in a sense, by, by a sense of, you know, wanting to reestablish this this promised land that, that are the ones who go back. And that's an important part of this whole story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and let me just look ahead a little bit. It also, when we talk about worldview, that sense, Ezra is the, is the, you know, we call him sometimes the godfather of Judaism, or I call him the godfather of Judaism, uh, because he's the one who really says, hey, we're going to we're going to keep the law now because we saw what happened when we did it mm-hmm. before. And he, he says that to an extent. Here, here's what it becomes is not only are we going to do what God has told us to do, but we're going to set fences and parameters around it. Uh, we're going to define it all very carefully. So God says, keep the Sabbath day and make, you know, make it holy. And, and uh, you know, Ezra is going to say, well, what does that mean? How far can I walk on the Sabbath mm-hmm. day and I'm not working? What can I do on the Sabbath day and it's not working? This is, is this a prelude to the Pharisees? That's exactly where mm-hmm. I was going with this because that's what it becomes. Mm-hmm. And, and in the sense of a worldview, then Jesus comes along and says, oh, you, you've done really well at keeping the law, but you've lost sight of what the law was supposed to do, mm-hmm. which really the law was supposed to change people's hearts so that they were like God, uh, the law is an the law is an aspect. Of, I always say it's a it's a revelation of the nature and character of God. Um, it, it shows us what breaks His heart and what what is what is desirable for Him. What what kind of people He wants to create, uh, wants us to be, and and so Jesus is saying, you know, you've you've gotten to this point now. You you you. He always talks about minutia, right? You you tithe your 
household herbs, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you tithe your mint and your dill. But then he says in another place, you don't take care of your parents. You, you call uh, things that you're going to give to the temple later on Corbin, you know, that, that this is this is dedicated so that you can't use it to take care of your parents, but you can enjoy it during your life, right? Right. And only at the end of your life is it going to go to the temple. So so they had gotten very – it's legalism, right? They'd gotten very good at knowing the loopholes of the law and knowing uh, how to keep the law without understanding what the law was teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Paul calls the law a, uh, a, a guide. And so that's that's what we're seeing, I think, in, in the beginnings of this. So we, this is the faithful remnant. This is the faithful ones. So they're the ones who say, I'm not going to eat that that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they say, here, we can't, we can't bow our knee to, to another God. And really, so here's how I, when I preach this or teach this, I talk about the question of allegiance. To whom do we owe allegiance? Mm-hmm. And and that's uh, for Christians. I don't care. You know, we have listeners not only in the United States and, and we have listeners in other places. I don't care what country you live in or what nation you live in. At some point, that question of allegiance has to be answered. Uh, to whom do we owe our allegiance? Um, now, there's a certain amount of allegiance you would think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to uh, Nebuchadnezzar because of things that, that he has done for them. Mm-hmm. But there is a higher allegiance for them that they say where it comes. Uh, let me quote the, uh, let me quote uh, um, the, the apostles in, in Acts chapter five, we must obey God rather than men. If there comes to, a, if there comes a point where the leaders, in that case, it's their religious leaders, but there, there comes a point where in this case, you're, political leaders are calling you to do something that is against the very law of God, then you have to say, I'm going to obey God rather than the people. And and they had a very clear sense. We are not to bow our knee to an idol. And and even as you point out, they had very, in their recent history, right, that had affected them personally, mm-hmm. they'd seen what the effects of, of bowing down to these idols, as you mentioned, in the, in the promised land had, had caused. So that's mm-hmm. how I would okay. respond to that. So every language is mentioned here, and you know I, I, I've been reflecting on this, and I, I'm kind of wondering: Does this show a human attempt to reverse the scattering that took place in Genesis chapter 11? Because mm. it's a similar kind of thing, right? We have this building of we have this building on the plains of Shinar, which is Babylonia, yeah. the same place. We have this building of this uh, of this. Um, a pyramid or ziggurat or whatever you want to call it, tower is what the scriptures call it, to, to reach the heavens. And we, we had a little bit of conversation about that yesterday. Uh, I guess one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is what is what is the purpose of God scattering the people in that? Why does he what, – what's what causes God to, to confuse the languages and scatter them at that point? Mm-hmm. And and how would you what would you say in 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 chapter eleven Genesis chapter eleven This is the Tower of Babel. They were, and God says if they do this, then nothing will be impossible for them. And so He goes. And scatters I, I think it was languages. a sense of you're probably going to correct me on this, but a sense <laughs> of not relying on God. I think like that, they they were relying on themselves. If we all work together, we can just rely on ourselves and we can accomplish what we need to accomplish. So, even though they were trying to build a tower to the heavens. I would very much agree with that. And and here's what I would say is is this an abortive attempt? You know, is this is this 
kind of a human attempt, maybe a better way to say that. Because we're in the same place where of, this tower of Nebuchadnezzar would've, would've trying to, on his terms and around him, reunite the peoples, right? Mm. Cause there to be one empire. Is this is this a part of the tension that we see in scripture of a, an attempt to reach this idea of a unity, not on the basis of, of God's cr- creation, right? But of how he has made us, but instead around this other individual. Empire. And, and that's, that's, I think, a constant question. Kingdom of God, Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the that's the kingdom we've already seen. We've already talked about in in the last chapter that there's going to come a kingdom that's going to smash the idols, right? That's mm-hmm. going to smash the statue, and I think you know this is this is a part of that contrast when we lay these side by side. Here's an attempt to surround this idol, draw people together by that idol. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder, you know, does Nebuchadnezzar have an idea of like when Daniel's interpreted his dream, is that fate or is that something that now that he, you know, it's yeah. a dream, yeah. is it a set in stone reality? Is, is he trying to go, you know what, it's I'm gonna not force. a set, I'm going to force it and I'm going to try to make my kingdom last yeah. for, I, you know. It, it is. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Like, what what goes into a, uh, a person's mind after they've had that dream, and here they are now. I, I think this. that's interesting, and and I do think it is an attempt on on the basis of you know a different kind of power to create this empire. Yeah, I, yeah. I do think instead that. of him being flattered by that he's the head of gold, he's dismayed by what do you mean there's going to be someone <laughs> right that that's going to crush my kingdom right. So what happens then, uh, if you look at verse 8, it's kind of interesting. Some of these astrologers, we mentioned uh, last week, Chaldeans, however we understand that, they came forward and denounced the Jews. I just wanted to mention this. It's it's very interesting. They use an Akkadian phrase here that has to do with basically eight pieces of them. <laughs> what? That it, it's like it's like we would say chew, chew, chewed into somebody or or something mm. along those lines, right? Trying yeah. to trying to destroy them on their own. But go ahead and read verses eight through twelve. I just find that, that phrase interesting. Yeah. At this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Okay, so... So this becomes then, as I mentioned, a question of allegiance. To whom does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego owe their highest allegiance? Mm-hmm. And uh, interesting, too, that here are these – the very thing that I think Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do, unite this people, is we see this kind of jealousy from different from different groups within that. Mm-hmm. You know, So these, these Chaldeans – and again, if they're astrologers, maybe they're like, hey, they've had more success than we've had. They're, they've showed more wisdom than we have. And so they, they – They should be thankful. They'd be dead by – the astrologers <laughs> would be dead without Daniel and right. boys. Right. But they, they're, they're jealous. Mm-hmm. So here's what happens then. Here's the, here's the response is, is that Nebuchadnezzar gets mad and he brings them before him and asks, is this true? Uh, and here's what they say. Here's the way that they answer uh, him. Uh, oh, oh, I should read this. I'm just going to read this last part of this. Uh, if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar asked this question, then what God 
will be able to rescue you from my hand. And, and there's that that thing that we've been talking about. There is a God in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, back in chapter two, what gods can can reveal these things to us? And Daniel says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And here is Nebuchadnezzar's question. What God could rescue you from, from me? Mm-hmm. You know, if I decide that you're going to be cast into a full blazing fire, who's going to save you is, is the question. And, and so here's, here's their answer. Here's the way that they respond to him. And again, uh, it, it's it's that question of at what point do God's people uh, where does the where does that issue of allegiance uh, le- leave us? So verse sixteen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and He will deliver us from Your Majesty's hand. But even if He does not. And this is an important part of this old story. Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. So that's that's an explanation. That's the, or example, I guess would be a better play, way to say it, of, of the kind of faith that God calls from his people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's the kind of faith. We know that God is able to deliver us. We don't know that he will. Right. But even if he does not... Mm-hmm. We're going to serve him uh, rather than these these false gods, and, and and that's that's I think you and I talk about this a lot. I know it's one of the things that bothers you with some modern worship music and some preaching mm-hmm. today is, is always that you know the Christian life is a victorious one, right? When there cl- clearly are examples uh, of martyrs, <laughs> right? <laughs> you exactly. Know, yes. Stephen. Paul himself goes through various mm-hmm. uh, hardships and various apostles. trials. Most of the apostles, you know, and and you know there there is this line of thinking out there, and it's it's one of these things. I always say the 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 most difficult lies is a half truth, right? And, and I think these the words I just read are such a good explanation of this. God is able to deliver us, mm-hmm. right? We're not denying that at all. God is able to do that. And I think we have to hold that in 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 our hands and, and acknowledge that. God certainly can deliver us from whatever situation we find ourselves in. But even if he doesn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Whether he, he chooses to or not, we are going to put ourselves in we're that's what trust is we're going to place ourselves in his hands mm-hmm. that's what it means to have faith yeah you're right that is a thing for me you know well it's <laughs> you know i i you know it's like someone that has been sick and it's in a very tenuous situation and yeah. you know they're healed and said well god showed his faithfulness yeah to us and i i'm always like yes and if and he had, if and right. if they had not been healed yeah God is still faithful. Like the faithfulness is not shown in my right. conquering of my problem. Right. God is faithfulness. I think we have to be careful to hold both those together, though. Yes, you know, I agree. Uh, and that's what you know. Sometimes when we have this conversation, I'm like, yeah, but we have to acknowledge that. Yes, He can. Right. We're not well, I, I, yes. denying nothing about His power. It's everything about what He chooses to do. And true faithfulness, I think, is placing ourselves and trusting ourselves that no matter what happens. Uh, we're we're trusting God in this. Now this story, and we always like the stories that turn out well. Yeah, right? that's that's why they're in here because they turned out well. What, what you don't well, know is they had they had a couple cousins that tried the same thing and burned up. 
Just kidding. So, yeah. Yeah. Those other guys. Uh, we'll go ahead and read um, read verses 19 through 22. Yeah. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other <laughs> Trousers? All right. Whatever. <laughs> turbans and other clothes um, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So we're imagining here a, a furnace, and we're going to see in a minute, there seems to be a door at the bottom of it, but but we're imagining a furnace that they're being thrown into the top of. And he, he the, 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 the detail of the soldiers themselves dying just from getting close to the heat is showing, you know, basically this is a image of the of the uh furor that that nebuchadnezzar is demonstrating or is, is showing to them so so that's what i think that's what i think is going on here um and and so so i did, do mention this in first peter chapter one i, I always find this interesting uh, this this kind of is an echo i think of this uh of this kind of language uh peter peter says there to, to christians you know writing um First, I said chapter one, first Peter chapter two, verses 12 and 13. Uh, he says, no, it is chapter one. <laughs> I was going to say, I've got, I got chapter two in my notes, but it is chapter one, verses 12 through 13. No, it's not. What am I doing? Is it second Peter? Peter? Hold on. I have no idea boom, what I'm talking boom, about. Boom. <laughs> it may be second Peter chapter. Let me look. It's all right. Here's a short break for us. To, if you're enjoying the podcast, we invite you to support us. You can go to thebiblebistro.com, click on the upper right-hand corner, and support us on the Patreon. Right. Or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at The Bible Bistro. Uh, you can um, – and if you support us, you can get some swag like a coffee cup, T-shirt, or – Okay, I can't find it. He can't find it. So, so right back to here's the, what, It talks about a fiery ordeal. I'll have to go look that up. It talks about uh, the fiery ordeal, even uh, uh, even though these fiery ordeals have come. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, talking about, again, our ability to stand, to withstand the difficulty, the trials that, that have come. Anyway, that's all I was going to – First Peter 4.12. 4.12, Okay. Goodness. You want to read it? Go ahead. Yeah, sure. I'm not even going to try. I did it faster than you. Here. <laughs> Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come yeah. on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And so Peter, in the same way, is writing to people who are you know, dealing with these difficulties, this kind of, the same kind of question, uh, mm-hmm. because he talks about this idea of authorities, right? And it, 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 they're not going to punish you for doing something wrong, right? But if you do something wrong and suffer, but if you suffer, even though you're doing something right. And so I think it's this kind of a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that that Peter has in mind there. And I even wonder if that idea of the fire ordeal is meant to to make us think of that, that that's this story. Mm-hmm. Um you know, at least it's a parallel. It, it seems to be a, a parallel kind of story. So, you know, this is the thing. And again, as I mentioned, we all have to come to terms with what is – we have an allegiance to the to the nations in which we live. And, and Paul, Peter, all of them say, hey, we, we 
uh, Jesus, uh, pay your taxes to Caesar, right? Mm -hmm. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But there also comes this point where we have a greater allegiance to God. And we, we have to wrestle with where does our allegiance to the, to the nation uh, end and where is it overtaken by our allegiance to God, uh, if it does. And, and the thing I want to get make clear, and this is what we were just talking about, is even if we stand up for what is right— Sometimes, and this is the case with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, you're still going to suffer the consequences for that. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And I think sometimes when people talk about, well, I'm going to stand up for this, right? <laughs> there, it's it's kind of like what I talked about in the first uh, – when, when we talk about the first chapter, in the second episode of this series, I talked about then uh, uh, this idea that um, – how to, I'm trying to think exactly how I put it, but but uh, it, it's a quiet kind of influence, right? Mm-hmm. We sometimes think we need these these platforms and this kind of thing, and I think it's the same here. We think, hey, if I stand up for for God and I do what what's right, it's going to turn things to my favor. Mm-hmm. Well, no, sometimes it means you're thrown into a fiery furnace, mm-hmm. and we trust ourselves to God. We know that He able is able to deliver us, but we also know even if He doesn't. We're we're doing what is right. That's that's a faithful. That's a quiet kind of faithful faith mm-hmm. um, that that we're called to. So I I didn't express that very clearly. But you no you no. What I I'm think it, it's there? kind of the. I mean, it is it, just because you're taking a stand doesn't mean it's gonna the situation's gonna change. Turn out right. Turn out you. Right. right. Like you know, it's well. That's not just. You know, I think that's. You know that can, that can turn sour for someone. You know it's it's easy sometimes to open our mouth and be like ah, and then it's like right. and then it comes back and it's like well where are you God why are you? you know right. it's like he he's still there but it doesn't necessarily mean the situation's changed. And we we think you know we think well we we want to change the culture we want to change the way things are in the culture but even if we're not able to do that we do we do what God has called us to I guess is what mm-hmm. I one of the other part of this I'm trying to say yeah okay so go ahead and read because uh, I've closed my Bible I'm not going to try anymore today <laughs> go ahead and read what happens here verses 23 through 25 and this of course is the is the high point of the story in a lot of ways yeah then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They said, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Uh-huh. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Go ahead. Okay. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned (laughs) into piles of rubble for another God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's got a thing. Yeah. 
I'm either going to burn, yeah, bow down, or I'm going to burn you, or you know, I'm going to cut you into pieces now. Well, a couple of things. So it goes back to remember he said, what kind of God is going to save you, or what God can save yeah. you from my hand? And, and here's the answer: for no other God can save in this way. So I got, let me ask you a question about this yeah. in our Bible. So when Nebuchadnezzar is talking about. We have the capital G God, the God of sure. Shadrach, and Abednego. Then we have lowercase g God. In Hebrew, the word is Elohim that, mm-hmm. that's translated there. And and I guess you have to know some Hebrew to know this, but the word, the the, the, the Im mm-hmm. in, in Elohim is plural. So God, the word God is always plural. Mm-hmm. Let's let's say it that way. That's a simple way to say it in Hebrew. Even when we translate it singular with a capital G, that the word is is plural. Uh, the God, you know, gods, mm-hmm. and so this could read son of the gods or son of God. It, it mm-hmm. could read either way, and we have to look at the context. We do yeah. this with other words. There are other words that are kind of like this. It's 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 a little hard. It's it's a language thing. It's a little hard if you haven't spent some time thinking about this. Mayim is the other example that I think of, which is the waters. It's it's always plural, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and you know, it's just. It, it's just a way that it's just the way that language works. Okay. So I, I just thought it was interesting that Nebuchadnezzar in, instantly kind of goes to up to this point we've had lower case yeah. G God and now uh, we have as he's talking about G. the God of Shadrach Meshach yeah. and it's the capital yeah. G. So. It's always plural and 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 that's just again as I said the nature of the language. But it is interesting and, and here, here's I think the this is kind of the culmination of the story is you've got this fourth person. He calls him an angel, messenger of God. He calls him, looks like a son of the gods. Um, However we understand this, some some people understand this as the pre-incarnate Christ Mm -hmm. making an appearance. Sometimes people, anytime anytime you have an occasion like this, some people want to see this as the angel of the Lord, which Mm -hmm. they see as the pre-incarnate Christ. However we understand this, whatever kind of messenger it is, um, what we have here is God's presence with his people in the midst of their ordeal. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me me go back and say that again. This is the presence of God with his people in the midst of their trial. And, you know, that's what I think this represents, however we understand it, Mm -hmm. whatever you do with this. And and this idea of God with his people is an an important one. Uh, Of course, that's what Emmanuel means, you know, God Mm -hmm. with us. Um, This is the promise that God makes over and over again. I will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people, right? In, In the book of Revelation, this is the idea that we, we see the consummation of that. God is with us. Jesus makes this promise to his disciples. Uh, just one example, Matthew 28, happened to be preaching on this weekend. Lo, I will be with you. So use a little King James there. but uh, look And look, I'm with you even to the very end of the age. You know, no matter what you come to, I am with you. Uh, and and that's you know the the remain in me and I will remain in you. That's the promise is God's presence with His people is the is the promise that we have even in our in our trials. It doesn't mean that we're always saved from our trials, but what we are promised is God will always be with us uh, even even in difficulty like this. Mm. Yeah. What I think is interesting in this 
I mean, obviously that's a great point. One thing I was, as I'm reading this here is the people that came to see, you know, they came out of the fire. We have satraps, prefects, governors, Mm -hmm. and royal advisors crowded around them. What we don't see are the astrologers that accuse them (laughs) to begin with. The Chaldeans (laughs) that, you know, it says the astrologers earlier and it's like, why aren't they there? Well, they're the ones that started the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole stink to begin with. It's interesting. And also we see the degree of the miracle here, the completeness of the miracle in the description of, they don't even smell like smoke. Their clothes don't even smell yeah. like smoke. What's interesting, uh, the, 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 the ropes are gone that were used yeah. to tie them up, but none of the hair was singed, the yeah. ropes were not scorched, and there's no smell of fire. Like yeah. it's a total... Yeah, complete complete uh, miracle here of this, the saving of them. God with them and saves them, protects them in whatever way. I mean, what an amazing thing. Uh, and then, and then the vindication. You went ahead and read that the the last, the final vindication. We've seen this with every chapter, right? Mm-hmm. Chapter one, the vindication is, oh, you guys are ten times wiser than any of the rest of these. Everybody should eat this way. And then in in chapter two, it's, uh, oh, you're the one who's able to interpret my dream, and I'm going to make you into this, uh, into this. You know, you go from being killed into into becoming uh, one of my advisors. And here, the same kind of thing. Instead of your disloyalty, now I'm not going to allow anyone to say anything against your God. So that's kind of the repeated stories that we're going to see is, again, we had it set up in the very beginning where it's it's going to be this contrast between the gods that are worshipped by the Babylonians and the true God, the God of the heavens. Yeah, you know, I was I was thinking about this as we were, knew we were going to talk about this, is like we have King Nebuchadnezzar who has Daniel, Daniel has, up to this point it's been about the food thing and they look better. Right. Then we have interpreting a dream and like, oh, your yeah. God is is the right God. And now we have the physical, like, is is this like a revealing to Nebuchadnezzar of like the God of Daniel is not just mm-hmm. a revealer of dreams? Because that was more of a spiritual sure. a spiritual reality being unveiled to him. And now it's like, oh, because Nebuchadnezzar seems to have like, well, what God could <laughs> save you? Right. You know, even though Daniel has interpreted a dream right. and, you know, is, is in him, his mind, I'm thinking, is he separated like... Well, there's spiritual things that a God, yeah. this that God can reveal spiritual things, but surely He can He yeah. can do the physical part of this. Even as, well. as you're saying that, I hadn't thought of this, but in chapter two, you know, this is just occurring to me right now. The whole idea of God with us. Remember that was one of their statements: is the gods are in the heavens and they they don't come down to the earth. Mm-hmm. Well, here's you God, know, God's messenger in the in the midst of the fire with them, and and you know, so it's, it is, it's a further a, a kind physical of a manifestation, full, full right uh, unveiling of who who yeah. this God is. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that, but that yeah. And again, whether we understand this as a pre-incarnate Christ or not, that's a theological question we could we could probably wrestle with. But what it, what is certain here is this is this is a, a illustration of God's presence with his people. Uh, and, and a fit, like you said, a physical presence. It, it's it's whether it's you know an angel or the angel. You know, however we understand this, some it, it, God has sent someone to protect His people in the midst of this. Um, th- there's some other cool stories like this. Even earlier, um, you know, one of my favorites is Elisha, where he asked uh, the eyes of the young servant to be open, and he sees the chariots of fire that are surrounding them, protecting them. Uh, you know, what can't be seen. Uh, the ministering spirits of God, what can't be seen by by normal you know situations, uh, but God that doesn't mean God's presence isn't there with us. And so, just a constant reminder. I, I, I like you know we talk we we cut down a lot of contemporary music, and uh, but I, I like the angel armies uh, mm-hmm. because of that. It refers back to that idea of kind of being constantly surrounded by God's ministering spirits, and uh, even in even in ways that we we can't 
always see the effects, right? We we trust and we know that he is there. Uh, so, yeah. Good. Anyway. Well, this is great. Yeah, good. We're, we're working our way through the narrative part, yeah. part of uh, Daniel here. This is good. Chapter, four's, set... chapter four is a weird one, though. We'll, next Ooh. week will be interesting, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, it'll be good. It'll be weird's good. You know, you got you to gotta work through these things. You know, I, I, I appreciate just going through some of these narratives. Yeah. And I think it, the, the thing is, is when you know, when you feel like you know these stories or you've read them so many times, to go back through them and kind of go, oh, to, to look, at, look at it a little bit, take your yeah. time through it to kind of reveal let it reveal itself to yeah. you is 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 good yeah. so and to see these these themes i think that are very clear in the book and what what the book's really trying to teach us and what we can learn mm-hmm. from it well and, so. I, and i think even from the beginning in that first episode if you haven't listened uh with the names yeah you know the daniel yeah. one the names those inversions of the names from yeah. that happens there you kind of go oh i know where i know where where this is going yeah you know right. this inversion of god's god and the and the God of the the Israelites and and God of the Chaldeans. So, all right. Well, Brian, thanks so much. Thank you. Look forward to uh, next week as we dive into the weirdness of (laughs) Daniel 4. All right. See you then. See you. Bye.